excellent music that refresh your heart and refreshes your heart get you ready for preaching i'll say this uh, the song you can be turning to luke chapter 10 tonight luke chapter 10 and um they sang that song a beggar and a king and uh she has that line in there in the chorus i nothing uh, and he gave me everything uh you know Sometimes we forget that. We forget that the only thing we bring uh, to the equation is our guilt. (laughs) That's it. And that's what grace is, is God being kind to us when we deserved wrath. And uh, that that old hymn they sing, Rock of Ages, or we sing still, says, uh, Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. And you know, knowing that is a blessing. There's a... A parable in Luke 7, we're not going there tonight, but Jesus Christ is explaining, and it's a picture of salvation and being forgiven of a debt. And I used to always get a little confused because uh, I'd read that going, I'm missing something here. And he's talking to uh, Simon the Pharisee, I believe is who he's having dinner with. And uh, there was a woman came in who was from the city. That's all it says, but immediately you know what kind of a woman this probably was. Because the, Simon the Pharisee, when she's down weeping and, and washing the Lord's feet with her tears, he says, boy, if this man were prophet, he would know what manner of woman toucheth him. And uh, he said, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he says, say on. And he, sa- he starts talking. He says, you know, there's one debtor that owes 500 pence. There's another one that owes 50 pence. And, uh, you know, the one that had loaned the money out, it just simply says this. It says, he frankly forgave them both. And I thought, well, I know that's salvation, but how, how did he just frankly forgive them both? But there's a key word in there. And the word is when. I circled the word when because Jesus said, when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Forgiveness comes when someone, it doesn't matter if you owe 500 pence, it doesn't matter how big your debt is. That's not the point of the story, really. What he's saying is when you realize you have nothing to offer. That's a hard place for a natural man to get to. And it's, it's harder than what we think. That's why it's a blessing when little children get saved. Truly get born again. Because the older you get, the harder your heart. And your mindset that, you know, I've got something to contribute. When they had nothing to pay. That's when you get saved. When you recognize, I, I have nothing to offer. I've just got to plead guilty and cast myself upon the mercy of God in Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. I'm glad he paid it all. Amen. And he did give us everything. Now let's take our Bibles, Luke chapter 10. And it is a privilege and an honor to be here. I know I've told you that, but I really mean it. I prayed this afternoon, Lord, help us tonight. And I really want you to get some help in... Uh, Luke chapter 10, let's stand honor the reading of the word of God. We're going to read verse 1 and then jump down to verse 17. Luke chapter 10, verse 1, the Bible says, After these things the Lord appointed other seventy also, and sent them two and two before his face into every city and place, whither he himself would come. So obviously it's very simple, the Lord's sending out seventy men here, uh, thirty-five groups, they're Two by two, he sent them out two at a time to prepare the way for him to come to these cities. 
And so he sends these 70 out on a mission, two by two, verse 17. And the 70 returned again with joy. Now we saw a man this morning that had no joy. These people had joy. The 70 returned again with joy saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. And I I want to stop right there and say, what does this have to do with what they just said? Have you ever, do you ever do that when you read your Bible? You come to a place, you're like, now there's a connection here that I'm not connecting. And here they come back. They went out, these 70 men, they've come back and they're full of joy and they're reporting in great success. They said the devils were subject unto us. We were, we were reigning over them. They were, they, they had to do what we told them to do because we went out under your power and under your name. And they're, they're rejoicing over that. And, and you look at this and, and, uh, the Lord simply says, now I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. And it's like, well, it, and he goes on to say what he says, verse 19 and 20, we'll read in a minute. But why did he bring this up? What, what's the, What's the connection? Why does he say this? Why does he start talking about the fall of Satan when these men come back rejoicing over the success that they've had? That's the question. And you know, uh, an old preacher said one time, he said, this book is alive. And he said, when you don't know what's going on, he said, ask your Bible questions and it will answer you. Talk to your text and it'll talk back. So Jesus looks at them and he says in verse 18, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Notwithstanding in this rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. And uh, I want to, with the Lord's help, I want to preach a message. I've never preached this out anywhere but at our church. And I really don't know why this is impressed upon my heart tonight. I'm a little nervous. I think Brother Hooch would understand when you're used. There's certain messages you're very familiar with. You've preached many times. And uh, and you know how they go together. This one is uh, quite a bit new, pretty new to me. Preached it at our church because it was a necessary message. The title of the message is Red Flag Rejoicing. He sees a red flag here when they come back rejoicing. And makes a very mild rebuke, but he does rebuke them slightly. Don't rejoice in this, rejoice in this. Red flag rejoicing. So let's pray one more time. Father, would you help me tonight? Because I really want to help East River Baptist Church. And Lord, uh, I just want you to have your way. Thank you for the privilege. Lord, I'm excited to be here. I've already enjoyed myself these last 24 hours. Thank you for safety getting down here. Thank you, Lord, for good food and fellowship. Lord, thank you for the health of being here and standing behind this pulpit Thank you for this Bible. Thank you for this church. And Lord, I pray you'd meet with us tonight and speak to hearts. Lord, uh, in that invisible place in our soul, I pray you'd speak. In Jesus Christ's name, I ask it. Amen. Now this looks like a great, and it is, a great report. These men have been sent out, 70 of them. He's got his original 12, but here they're stepping it up a little bit. There's people around him in his earthly ministry He selects these 70. He sends them out with specific instruction. He even tells them what to preach. And uh, they go out and do that. They go out under his name, under his authority. And uh, they find that when you're under authority, you're over some other things. I think we talked about that last year. 
It's a great uh, truth that Dr. Adrian Rogers said one time in a message on submission and authority. He said, God will not put you over what he's put under you until you get under what he's put over you. And that's very true. That, that, that is a great, that synopsis right there. Get a hold of that. Think on that. Because the reason you have uh, so much failure in your Christian life, the reason your prayer life isn't what it should be, the reason that there's so much drama and strife and you feel like you're kicking against the pricks as a born-again believer could be because you've got rebellion somewhere in your life. Because if you will not get under the things, the people that God has placed over you, you're never going to get over top of those things that God wants you to be over. Because he doesn't give authority to rebels. God does not give authority to rebels. But if you get under and submit to him and the places, uh, the, the deputizing of authority, that's what, uh, that's what it is. Deputy authority. You ever hear of that? Watchman Nee talks about that. When I get pulled over, when it happened years and years ago, when I would get pulled over by a sheriff's deputy, I don't say, um, where's the sheriff? Well, the sheriff's at home in bed, but I'm, no, I, I don't want to talk to you. I want to talk to the authority. No, he has the authority of that sheriff on him. He's got, he's been, he's a deputy. He's been deputized. He has the same authority as the one who deputized him. Now, I know we've got to be careful about that, but there's a principle there. That, you know, people say, well, I, I'm, me and the Lord, I, I submit to the Lord, but now my pastor is an idiot. It doesn't work that way. And, and that's how some Christians live their life, and they wonder why they get nothing done. But that's not the case here with these 70. They were under the lordship, if you were under the authority of Jesus Christ. So when they went out, they had great success and found themselves over the devils. That's what they say. And in verse 17, when they came back, it says they, they returned again with joy. And here's what they were rejoicing in. Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. And so he says, well, let me tell you something about what I know about the devil. Now, why would he bring that up? Well, if you would, turn in your Bible to Ezekiel chapter 28, please. Ezekiel 28. We're going to do a little bit of Bible study tonight in this message. Would that be okay? Uh, Amen. Praise the Lord. Ezekiel chapter 28. I want to know something about why he would say this. And I think that this uh, may be a good clue of why he brought that up. Look at Ezekiel chapter 28. Now through the years I have heard and I have said uh, incorrectly that the devil is a fallen angel. That's not accurate. Now the Bible does say this about him. It says that he is able to transform himself into an angel of light. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And he goes on, Paul the apostle warns the church that uh, because he, the devil can turn himself into an angel of light, don't, it's no surprise, it's no marvel that his ministers are ministers of righteousness. That's a sobering passage. Because he's telling you, he just told you that Satan has ministers. Satan has preachers. And they don't come with black hoods and ACDC t-shirts. They come in suits with Bibles. Now you say, well, preacher, that's confusing. No, you don't have to be confused about it. You just have to get under him and get in the Bible and you'll be able. They will give themselves away. That's why you're given a Bible. But listen, Satan is not a fallen angel. He's a, a demoted cherub. Somebody says, what's the difference? Well, there is a difference. Angels in the Bible appear as men. 
Okay, we, we've watched, we've picked up so many Hallmark Christmas cards and read so many chick tracks that we think that, you know, they got white robes and big wings. Hebrews 13 says that many have entertained angels unawares. So if they have big wings sticking out of their back and they knock on your door, I think you would be aware that this guy's not from around here. No, angels appear as men in the Bible. Cherubs have wings and some other qualities that we won't get into tonight. And that information helps you to identify some things. Some of the satanic symbols come from what the Bible describes uh, cherubs looking like. Now, I'm not here uh, to get into all that tonight. I want you to see this, though. Look at Ezekiel 28. Look at verse 12. Scripture says, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Has anybody ever read about a garden in a place called Eden? Okay, this creature, this character, has been there. Every, and this is not Adam, and this is not Eve. And this is not God, so... There's only four people I read about in the Garden of Eden. So if it's not Adam, and if it's not Eve, and if it's not the Lord, then I can only conclude that it's the serpent who is more subtle than any beast of the field. And so it goes on to describe him. Every precious stone was thy covering. The sardius, topaz, the diamond, the barrel, the onyx, and the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, and the carbuncle, and gold. The workmanship of thy habits and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou wast created. He was a created being. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth. The anointed cherub is covering the throne of God on the day that he was created. God has a throne and there is this cherub that is anointed, that is covering and reflecting the glory of God. I I can't wrap my mind around all that. I don't claim to understand all of that. I'm just telling you, giving you a little insight here into what the Bible is, is showing us about this creature. And the Bible says, I have set thee so, verse 14, thou wast upon the holy mountain of God, Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou was perfect in thy ways from the day that thou was created till iniquity was found in thee. By the multitude of thy merchandise they have filled the midst of thee with violence and thou hast sinned. Therefore I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God and I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. The Bible says that he was cast. He was cast down. He was cast out as profane out of the mountain of God. If you read in Ezekiel 1 when those cherubs over there that were carrying the throne of God moved, it was as lightning flashes. What did Jesus say in Luke chapter 10 verse 17, uh, verse 18? He says, I beheld Satan as lightning fall. When a, when a cherub is moving quick, it looks like a flash of lightning according to the scriptures. So when Jesus says that, he's talking about when The anointed cherub, who is Lucifer, is cast out of heaven. Now, stay with me. Look what it says. What happened? What was the sin that was found in this creature? Verse 17, thine heart was lifted up. Remember, it was his sin that got him kicked out of the third heaven. 
Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings that they may behold thee. Now, I'm not going to get into all of this today because that's over my head, a lot of that. But I can tell you this. The devil, a cherub, an anointed cherub that covered the throne of God, was beautiful. He was musical. He was wise. He was all of these things and had a had a high-ranking position. The Bible says that God was the one that set him there. And in the day there was iniquity found in him. There was a stain. Something happened. What was it? Uh, was it some kind of immorality? No, he says, thine heart was lifted up. All because of what God had done for him and where God had placed him. And his heart was lifted up and he began to look in the mirror saying, you know, I am uh, pretty good looking. And I am uh, pretty amazing, if I do say so myself. And Jesus Christ said, I saw... Satan, as a lightning fall from heaven, when that cherub was cast down. And what was it? It was pride that got him kicked to the curb. That was inside. Pride is on the inside. It will fuel you to do things outwardly. But it's, it's an inside sin. It's something that God sees. And the moment that that rose up in this creature, this anointed cherub that we call the devil, the devil our adversary... Satan, God booted him out, cast down. So what's the connection here, preacher? What are you saying to us? Here's what he saw when they came back going, hey, we were out and we had great success. Do you know success is a dangerous thing? (laughs) It's dangerous, especially in the spiritual realm. A preacher or a church or a servant that finds if we have any success at all, it's because God has done it. And they came back and they said, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us. And he said, yes, I saw, I saw somebody else one time that I set up that got puffed up with pride. Now, the Lord doesn't say pride right there, but that's what he's getting at, I believe. The lesson is this. I remember when Satan, I saw him fall as lightning fall from heaven. And he said, and it wasn't because, it wasn't some kind of, it wasn't drunkenness and immorality. Yeah, those things are bad. But I tell you what happens, and it creeps into our church houses. And it creeps into good churches where the Bible is studied and where God actually still moves and does things. We get to thinking that we're something we're not. And we forget that any success, any good thing that comes through us or by us is because of the grace the God of all grace, the God who, the God of heaven who does it for us and through us through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so all glory has to be reflected back to him. And right here he's talking about pride and he's letting them know if you're not careful, you're rejoicing. Red flag rejoicing is rejoicing over the wrong thing. And it's so subtle, it's so simple, and you think, oh, that's not a big deal. Jesus Christ thought it was enough to say, he didn't say, that's awesome, that's the way it's supposed to be. We're supposed to go out, amen, and command the devil to get down and grovel. He doesn't say that. He says, now, I know what you're saying, but I saw Satan fall from heaven, his lightning fall from heaven. And here's what I want you to rejoice. Don't rejoice in that. Rather rejoice in this. And he tells them and mildly rebukes them for what they're rejoicing over because he could smell the beginning of pride. Now, I want you to look at something. Go to Luke 22. 
And I'll try to illustrate this a little bit for you. Here's a great passage, by the way. I, I believe our King James Bible is perfect. I believe it's, I believe it's, you know, I'm, I'm not getting in all this semantics and, well, I don't believe in this kind of inspiration. No, I believe the Bible is inspired. I believe that it's perfect. I believe it's the Word of God. And I believe God is able to take a language and move it around. He can put His perfect Word, word for word, in any language He wants to do, how, it, it, that He wants it in, any way He but through anybody he wants to do it with. Because people say, well, those translators, you know, Brother Altop, they were, they were sinners. Okay, so was David, the king. And yet he wrote how many psalms? See, that's not the issue. If God only used perfect people, then he couldn't use anyone. Except his only begotten son. But he is gracious and he can get a perfect work done. You've heard the old saying, God can draw a straight line with a crooked stick. So I believe that this is a work of God. What I've got in my hands tonight is a perfect book. I was called one time to, uh, there's a liberal arts college in our town, and the religions professor called me. This has been about five, or, uh, five years ago now. And he said, hey, he said, we're having a, uh, we're, we have in our class, we always bring in religious leaders. He, he said, we've had a, a Jewish rabbi and a Muslim cleric. And uh, a Catholic priest, and I didn't know if he's fixing to tell me a joke or what, but uh, there's a Catholic priest. And a, okay, so he says, he said, but we've got an extra week. And he said, we wanted to maybe get someone like you in. And he said, what I need is, he goes, you have about two hours. There's about 50 to 60 students. I would like you to give us your uh, spiritual journey, which AKA means give, give us your testimony. And then be, he goes, would you care to tell us just a synopsis of what you believe and then be ready to field questions? And I said, I, I couldn't pass that up. I said, I would love to do that. But I was also very nervous because these students are going to be lawyers and doctors and scientists. It's, it's the cream of the crop when it comes to intellect. Okay, I graduated high school and I've got a, I've got a King James Bible and I believe that with the blessing of God, I can go there. But at the same time, I'm still thinking, boy, and I took my 13-year-old son at the time. Uh, he turned 19 today. This has been about five and a half years ago. He went, I said, I want you to sit in the back of the classroom, and I want you to just listen to this. I said, I don't know how it's going to go, but I need you to pray. Because I said, I'm going to be answering a lot of questions, and some of them are going to be difficult. And I want to be able to give a biblical answer and show them that you, listen, real preaching is reasoning. I heard people say, I'll tell you what preaching is in North Carolina. It's take a verse and take a fit. Okay. I get that. But it's like, I want to reason things through so I can sit there and reason with somebody about the, the reality of spiritual things. And I, there were some interesting questions. I remember one guy said, I'm a Presbyterian. And he said, I would like to know uh, if you're a literalist. And I said, well, explain what you mean by literalist. I knew what he meant, but I want him to talk some more so I could think a little longer. He said, well, you know, do you take everything literally in the Bible? I said, yes, where it can be taken literally, I take it literally. I said, but there are some things in the Bible that are spiritual. Jesus said, I'm the door. I said, he's not literally a door. I said, that's to illustrate for folks like us to understand that I said, if I'm going through a door to get to someone, to get to another place, I have to go through a door. I said, to get to God, you must go through the door, which is Jesus Christ. He's not a literal vine. Those are, those are illustrations. I said, 
I am a literalist. I said, what about you? I said, do you take the Bible literally? You said you were a Presbyterian. Do you take it literally or not? He said, I take it literally where I can. I said, okay, well, give me an example of something that's literal versus something that's not literal. He goes, the, the death of Christ and the resurrection, that's literal. I said, I'm with you. He said, but now Noah's Ark, that's not literal. I said, what, what, there wasn't a worldwide flood and, and, you know, he's going on and that, that, the Noah's Ark's not, not literal. And so I told Hudson later, I said, no, you heard a cause. This man's either going to be a lawyer, a scientist or a doctor. And I said, he believes that a man can be stone cold dead in the market for three days and then get up from the dead. But he doesn't believe a man can build a boat to save his family from a flood. And these people are going to be leading our country. But in that, the lady, the one of the ladies, she goes, uh, our professor tells us that you believe that the King James Bible is uh, uh, the inspired word of God. She says when everybody, and this was her, she must be going to be a lawyer because she said, everybody knows that's a translation. And uh, I'm sure you really don't believe that. Would you please tell us what you really believe? It's like, well, thank you for setting up the question, answering it for me, and then throwing it back on, on me like that. But I, I didn't say that to her. But I said, well, I'll tell you what. I said, what, what? I said, God can, can, if he can create the world, he can create and transfer his word into any language he wants to. I said, we do believe the King James Bible is a perfect translation. And they all gasped, you know, like that was just, you know. And I said, well, let me give you some examples. And I said, we don't believe, by the way, so let me tell you what we don't believe. We don't believe if you're carrying a different Bible that you're lost. That's a crucial thing to point out because what they hear is we're the only people that know God, not you. I said, no. I said, and I took on the, the board and I used this passage. I said, the King James Bible was translated at a time when our English language was being standardized. So therefore, there's things that, uh, you've, this is one of the things. Thee, thou, and thine. Singular. You, your, ye, plural. When people say, well, what, what, what do they always say about the Bible? Well, it would, you know, I just don't have the old King James Bible. We, we got a new Bible that's, uh, you know, it just takes out the these and the thous, which is not true, but that's what they say. And I said, if that's all the new Bibles did, I said, you would have a less than kind of a Bible because it would take away from you a built in study tool. Because I said, ye, you, and your means a plurality. I'm speaking tonight at East River Baptist Church to you. But if I speak to an individual, the Bible, when you're reading it, would say, if it was just talking to one person, thou or thee or thine. If it was talking to everybody, it would say you or ye or your. Are you getting that? Do you understand? It's, It's simple, but it's crucial. And it's very, very helpful. And it's very helpful in this passage. Now watch this. Look at Luke 22. And we are going to tie all this together in a minute. Look at Luke 22 and look down at verse 31. This is the night of the betrayal and the arrest of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he's given his disciples, his 12 disciples, some last minute instructions. And he says in verse 31, the Lord said, Simon, Simon, who is that? It's Peter. Behold, Satan hath desired to have you. Now, is that singular or plural? It's plural. He wants, who does he want? He's telling Simon Peter that Satan wants all the disciples. He says, behold, Satan has desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. He's talking to them as a group. But I have prayed for thee. 
Now, why was all of a sudden, why is this? Well, he's addressing an individual talking about a group. Simon was a part of the disciples, right? The 12. And he says, Simon, I got something to tell you. Satan has desired to have you guys. Is what he's telling. But I have prayed for thee. Why? Why did Jesus Christ pick Simon Peter out to pray for individually? I have prayed for thee. Keep reading. That thy faith Fail not. And when thou, individual, talking directly to Simon Peter, when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. And he said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before that thou, individual, shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. Here's what he's saying. He's saying the devil wants all of you guys. But I prayed for thee individually, Peter. Why, I'm ready to die. Yes, you're full of pride. And you are a target. And I prayed for for thee and your faith. You say, what kind of a target? The devil can smell spiritual pride. Scripture says he walketh about. He's not running. He takes, you ever watch lions? You know, them shows. Uh, National Geographic, you know, where they're, I love that stuff. I, I grew up watching Sunday night, you know, they'd have Wild Kingdom or whatever. And it was always great if it was going to be some kind of carnivore. You know, I wanted poisonous snakes, crocodiles, grizzly bears, and lions. Because it's going to be some bloodshed here. But those, those lions, they just kind of follow the pack. And they're taking their time. And that's exactly 1 Peter 5, 8 says, Our adversary walketh about seeking whom he may devour. What's he watching for? He watches the church. He's not down there tonight watching the sports bar. Those guys are not a threat to his kingdom. But this crowd poses a threat. Because if anybody gets hooked up to that book and hooked up with the Holy Ghost, look out. They could do some damage to his kingdom. And he takes it serious. This war is on. As your preacher often says, it's invisible, but it's not imaginary. And what he's looking for is a saint that has pride working in him. I read a book to the boys, or about half the book so far. It's called The Lions of Savo, or The Man-Eaters of Savo. Anybody ever read read, read that? The Man-Eaters of Savo. This guy was a... Uh, they called him over to Uganda. They were building, they were cutting through uh, the, the jungle there to build a railroad trestle, ra- run a railroad line through there. So there was about 3,000 uh, uh, folks, guys from India and, and around that area, and they brought a guy in to oversee the project. And there was two rogue lions. This was about 1901, 1902, that uh, were, I don't know if they were demon-possessed or what, but they began to stalk that crew. And for nine months, they would watch the crew working and clearing for that railroad. And they would pick out a man. And they would come into the tent and go over other men. And they would never hear them go because they would, many times they never heard them because they would clamp down on their throat, drag them out, and they could hear them being eaten alive. Just just outside the, they would build fires. They would put up, I mean, it was a horrific story. I was reading it to the boys and I noticed that they kept moving closer to their mother over at the couch. And uh, I told them, I said, what's time? We stop. I said, it's time for bed. And uh, they, I said, you guys go get ready, go brush your teeth, go do what you got to do. And uh, they kind of stood there in the living room and nobody was going. I said, what's the problem? And they said, that hallway's dark. (laughs) 
So I waited until we kind of convinced them to go down there. They got down about to the thing and they flipped the bathroom light on and I leaned around and went, and you should have seen them through the ceiling. Boy, I tell you, it was a blessing. Here's a lot of blessings to being a dad, amen. And uh, that's one of them. But I read that story. Here's what happened. In nine months, 135 men were stalked, drugged from their tent, and killed. And one of the things he said, if a guy was getting sick, they focused in on him. And they, and they, there was 3,000 men, hundreds of tents. There'd be several men in a tent. But if they spotted, if they knew they could sense a man was sluggish or whatever. Now here's the point. Lions can detect weaknesses. And they go after the weak. And you know what the devil can smell? He can smell spiritual pride a mile downwind. And he knows, I got this one. Why did the Lord say, Peter, Simon, Simon, I've, Satan has desired to have you that he might sift you. But I prayed for thee. Why? In other words, he's letting Simon Peter know you're more susceptible to attack. He wants them all, but he's going to get you if I hadn't prayed for you. Because Simon kept saying, I'll go with you to death. I'm not, the rest of these guys may flee, but not me. And you know something? I believe Peter was telling the truth. Because, why? When they show up with lanterns and torches and weapons, he pulls his sword. And I, I used to, I'm, I'm slow here, okay? I used to think, you know, I, I would be preaching that and I'd go this way. Like he took his, he wasn't taking, he wasn't going that way. He was swinging like this. He wants to get the man's head. And the, the Roman soldier saw it coming and he ducked. And all he caught was his ear. And the Lord, you know, put it back on. Put your sword up. And now Peter's not afraid. He's angry. And I think it was more irritation with his plan getting put down than it was fear of those people. You ever get angry with the Lord? And you're upset and you don't talk and act the way you normally would because in your heart, you're frustrated. Jesus said, listen, Simon, I'm praying for thee because Satan has desired to have thee. So what are we? what's this got to do with Luke chapter 10? Go back there with me and that's the setup and it's real simple, the thought. But we have got to watch our spiritual pride and our self-righteousness. Because it can creep in. It, it, here's the reason it's so deadly. is because it happens when you're doing right. Of course, you know, when, you're, when you know you're off in sin, but we forget that it can creep into our thought process as we serve the Lord. I still tell the Lord, it's been, uh, the Lord has opened doors for me to preach out in other churches and it's a great blessing. It's, it's exciting and it's fun and I've, I've got a church of people that support it and men that say, hey brother, when you go, you're ministering on our behalf and we're glad that you get to go and, and we're strong enough. It shows us that we're healthy enough to have our pastor gone sometimes and, and I love it, but I'm always never to the point where I'm thinking, well, yeah, you know, I kind of carry carry God in my back pocket. No, not at all. Not at all. It's, Lord, I, I'm excited to get to go 
anywhere and do anything. In other words, it can creep in. You have a little success. You have a little blessing on your life. Then you get to thinking, man, I pretty well got this thing figured out. That's why they came back. They said, hey, Lord, the devils are subject unto us. And he says, hey, don't rejoice over that because I saw Satan fall as lightning fall from heaven. And you know why he fell? Because of pride. And I'm, I'm smelling some pride on you. And if you get full of pride, he's going to come after you and he's going to use you. I remember a young man that got saved. And uh, well, he wasn't super young, but he's in his 20s. And, and uh, he came in there and he didn't know anything. He got saved. It was a great time. Well, we happened to have a couple, about a month later, we had a, a fair event where we, we had a fair booth at this outdoor festival. And different things happened uh, it was a festival we'd never been to before. Some different things happened on a Saturday afternoon that the people who were supposed to be at the, the tent could not go. So if we weren't there, we just kept our tent closed. Well, he went, was supposed to work with another two other guys who had legitimate reasons. It was just a, one of those things where things happened, and he was the lone man there. And I couldn't talk to I couldn't get a hold of him to tell him, hey, you don't have to do that yourself. So, But he opened the tent, and he stood there. Uh, and I only want him to be there with a couple other men so he could learn how to deal with people and what to say. Because he probably probably didn't know what he was going to say. And um, so he went ahead and did it, and that was fine. But he came into church that Sunday morning. And I, I said, anybody got a word of testimony? He stood up. He said, yeah, I'd just like to say uh, down at the festival yesterday, I got out several tracks. But I don't know where the rest of you all were. And, uh, and I, I, of course, everybody understood Here's a young man in the faith. You know, everybody had grace with him. But there's people that get that way that start acting like, you know, I, that's what I'm doing. I remember I did all this and what are you doing? I do this. What do you do? <laughs> it's like, you know something? Just thank God that you get to do anything. Amen. And the moment you start sitting down on the, listen, the Bible talks about sitting in the seat of the scorner, the scornful, like we heard this morning. You know what a seat is? It's a place to sit and make judgments. It's a seat to look out over and determine, I have earned this seat. Now I'm going to look and see who's doing what. And the devil says, oh man, this guy's a great help to me to go against the work of God. I remember a young man who was uh, came to our church. It's been many, many years ago. And, uh, oh, he was so excited to be finally coming to a King James Bible-believing Baptist church. He was tired of all uh, these churches that compromised. And I've learned that that's a red flag. That's not a blessing. Originally, you're thinking, amen, let's get the fighters. Let's get the soldiers in here. I found out you get those kind of fighters in, they're going to turn and fight you, not the enemy. Oh, I'm so glad to be here in every service. Oh, that was awesome, preacher. That was great. And, boy, he loved it when I was just lighting folks up and lighten subjects up and all this and uh one time we went to a place where there was preachers and and uh i told him i said you you ought to be ready to preach he said he was called to preach I said, you ought to be ready to preach i said because i'm going to tell the guy that's that's heading up that if he needs somebody i said if you tell me that you're ready that you would be willing i said it'd be a good opportunity i said i got a feeling he may call on you uh to preach a devotion at one point and he said well i, I don't know about it. if i could do that i'll try to have something i said okay that'd be good and uh, we were there, and I told the man that was in charge, I said, this guy could preach if you need someone. I, he, I told him to be ready. You can call him, not call him. So before uh, the afternoon break there, he called on this man, and uh, he told me, he said, oh, be, be sure and tell me. I don't want to go over my time. I said, no problem. I said, I'll keep a handkerchief, and I'll wave it. 
Well, he got up there and God got into the message. I mean, he got hooked up where it was happening. People started going to the altar while he's preaching. Pretty soon, almost a whole, all of the pews have emptied out and people are down there praying. And, uh, and, and finally, he just says, I, I don't know what else to say. And uh, the moderator said, you, you've said everything needs to be said, obviously. And he came back there just crying, you know, just overwhelmed. And I'm telling you, after that day, there was a change in that man. And he became a thorn in my side and a thorn to our church. And I didn't see it then, but I can see it now. He, he saw, he felt the rush, and it is a rush, that God used me to help his people. God used me. And the trap is, he used me because I'm better than everybody here. He used me because I've got it figured out. And pretty soon, uh, one time, I, I said this, I think I can say this here. I pointed out in 1 Corinthians 11 about haircuts. Now, y'all don't think I have any problem with haircuts, do you? We say, well, you got to cut that long hair. The Bible says it's a shame. And it is. But have you ever read the next verse, what the Word of God says right after that? When he says, you know, it's a shame for a man to have long hair. What's the next verse? He says, but the churches of God, if any man seem to be contentious, churches of God have no such custom. Whoops. Now, I didn't say that I'm going to grow my hair and have a ponytail when I come back here next year. If, if I come back. I'm just saying that that verse balances it out. Paul says, hey, nature itself teaches you. But we don't have a rule about it. And I preached that. And I just hit it in passing. And at the next service, I was coming up the aisle. He stood up and he said, you keep that up. I'll be finding me somewhere else to go. And tell me Paul's going to talk about long hair for 15 verses and then just, just wipe it all out. And I first thought he was kidding. And I stood there looking. He says, I'm serious, preacher. He says, I'm watching this thing way, you know, go around in the tracks. And I was like, you're serious. I said, what are you going to do with that verse? Well, you get that out of the Bible. No, it's still in there. And then later on, we had a missions conference. And a man called me and said, hey, I got a, a lady in my church and she's going to another country. She's going to Mexico. And uh, she's going to be working with the children. She's a good woman, a godly woman. He goes, my prayer is she's going to get to Mexico and find a husband down there. That'll be a missionary to Mexico. But he said, we're going to support her. He said, she's in your area. Can I tell her she can come by? I said, yeah, brother, tell her to come by. So she came in and she had a stack of prayer cards. I had no idea that she just don't do that. I said, do what? A woman going to the mission field? Yeah, brother. She doesn't have a husband. She has a local church and a pastor that says, hey, this is a good woman that's, that's faithful to our church. And, uh, and she's going to work with children. That's, that's scripturally acceptable. Amen. And so that night I said, all the missionaries, if you'd stand. And they all stood and she stood. And she goes, I'm going to Mexico to reach the children down there. And that guy was in my face. Women ain't called to preach. Don't you know that? What in the world? We're trying to have missions conference. And you're firing off these things at me. 
on the way out, I said, brother, I said, Bible says going to all the world preaching God. Don't start all that with me. She's out of place. No, you're out of place. She's a blessing and you're a burden. She got the right attitude and you don't. Why? Because I saw Satan fall as lightning fall from heaven. Why? Because you're full of pride. And you think you know more than... Success is, a, is an intoxicating and dangerous thing. You say, why? Because the Lord said, hey, don't rejoice in that. Don't rejoice in your success. It was all for me anyway. You rejoice because your name's written down. This, this man, it changed him. You say, is that man still there? No. No, he finally chewed me out one last good time. Amen. I said, that, brother, if I felt that way, I'd find me a new pastor. And he did. He was glad and so was I. So was the church. Because that spirit is no good. Comparing ourselves among ourselves. That's the danger. Look at John 21. Everybody doing okay? Look at John 21. And uh, notice this. It's, it's so much better. You know, your pastor taught me a song. M-Y-O-B. Amen. I, I, I can't quite remember it, but maybe if he hums a few bars, we could all get with him tonight. M-Y-O-B. Mind your own business. John 21, here in verse 15, the man that had been restored after his fall. He, but he never lost. He, he may have slipped and had to be reestablished and restored to his apostlehood, his apostleship. But he was safe even when he was cursing. And denying why Jesus had prayed for him. And did you know tonight you got someone praying for you? Uh, Amen. It's a blessing. But here in John 21, after the resurrection, and it's just Jesus Christ and the apostle Peter. The Bible says, when they had dined, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He said to him, yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He said unto him, feed my lambs. He said to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time. Somebody says, Well, preacher, I, I mention this everywhere I go. I hear it on the radio. Now, what you got to understand is you just can't quite get it in the English. The Greek shows that the, you know, the degrees, the shades of love. Agape is, you know, friendly love and and phileo is that deep, deep love. And the re- he's using a different term. No, he's not. You know how I know? Because he asked him the same question when he asked the third time. That means I've been asked the same question three times. And what else am I going to say? I'm telling the truth. Do you love me? Yes. Feed my lambs. Do you love me? Yes, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. Do you love me? I'm grieved because he was asked the third time. You understand it has nothing to do with the shades of meaning of the Greek. It has everything to do with the same question. You ever ask your children the same question and they finally get frustrated? And right here, he saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, feed my sheep. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, when thou was young, thou girdest thyself and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee, 
and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. This spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he saith unto him, follow me. Then Peter turning about. That's an instructive phrase right there. And I think this might even give us some insight into the judgment seat of Christ. Most Christians are terrified of the judgment seat of Christ. I am to some degree uh, because it talks about the terror of the Lord. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. It's not about, I'm not afraid of condemnation. But I sure hate the thought of disappointing the Lord. And I, I, I know less now I realize about the judgment seat of Christ than I ever have. And, uh, but when I look at it, I think, how will this be? Most people, uh, again, because of chick tracks, we think that there's a big screen and the church is going to be gathered around and eating popcorn while the Lord runs the, the show. Oh, I can't believe you did that. But that's just not the way it's going to be. And right here you say, what's that got to do with John 21? Peter was cussing and denying. And they, you know what the Lord did after they ate? They obviously stood up just him, just the Lord and Simon Peter, and they started walking together because they're away from the rest of the men that are eating. And so Simon turns around because he's been walking with the Lord and the Lord didn't say, where did you learn that kind of language? He says, instead he says this. Why did he ask him three times, by the way? Because he denied him three times. He said, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. All right. See how gentle the Lord deals even with the saints that sin. It says, Peter, turning about, I'm in verse 20. Y'all stay with me. I'm, 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 I got the landing gear down. I'm talking to air traffic control right now. We're approaching the runway. and I don't think we'll have to circle much longer. All right. But it says, then Peter, turning about, see it, the disciple whom Jesus loved, following See, they're walking down away from the crowd, just the Jesus and Simon Peter. And Peter turns around and he sees the disciple whom Jesus loved. That's John following, which also leaned on his breast at supper and said, Lord, which is he that betrayed thee? Peter seeing him say to Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man do? Peter, you just got right with God. And now you're turning out now, what are you going to do with this guy? What's he, what's he responsible for? I need to know what you're going to do with him. Look at what Jesus said. Jesus said to him, if I will that he tarry, Till I come. What is that to thee? And again, follow thou me. You know, don't worry about what I'm going to do with John. He says, what is that to thee? When you start worrying about what everybody else is doing, you know, you get in a big mess. Study to be quiet and to do thine own business. That'll keep you out of a lot of church drama. By just doing what you know to do and don't worry about Well, You know, I saw on Facebook. I saw, you know, I don't know, you know how she is. You know how they are. Well, I'm not going to sit over there by them. I'm moving to the other side of the church. And if you're not sitting in your right seat tonight, I, I, Brother Roger didn't say nothing to me about it. I'm just saying, I know Baptist, man. The question is, what is that to thee? You see, when you get worried about what other people are doing, we get self-righteous. And we get self-righteous when we've had some success. And we get to thinking that we can judge these things. I told the men, one of my men came and he said, we need, you know, we, we didn't have a door-to-door visitation. I'm going to tell you something about door-to-door. Door-to-door is not the end all of all ministries. And I say that because we've had it pounded into our heads as independent Baptists. And if you ain't on the doors, you ain't doing anything for Jesus. And the truth of the matter is we're living in a different era 
Then they, the guys that wrote those books in the 50s and 60s, that was a great way to get the gospel to a lot of people. I find that people are suspicious, nervous. They don't want you on their property. And I'm not saying that God doesn't bless it. We do have a program. But I'm telling you that it is, a, it is not as fruitful as it once was. And there's a lot more obstacles to deal with. When you go into neighborhoods and you're walking up and down, there's all kinds of scams. There's all kinds of crooks. And I know that's not what we're there for. I get that. But it, I'm just telling you that I have. there's other ways. That's a good way. I'm not against it. I'm just saying, don't let the brethren dictate to you everything that this is what you got to do if you're going to be a good church. And I told the man, he came to me, he said, man, we haven't been out on the doors for a long time after COVID. That was just not the thing to do. And so we sent out mailers. We did a lot. We were still getting the gospel out. Okay. And I said, well, it's time to get it going. I said, but I need someone to be in charge of it. And I said, I think you're the man. He has a heart for that kind of ministry. And we sat down. We planned on what night we would do it, what we would do, how we would do it. And I said, there's going to be times you're going to have to be there. And I'm not going to be able to be there. And I said, and here's the thing. And he agreed with me. I said, here's what will happen. You will get two or three men who are faithful to that ministry. And before you know it, those two or three men will be standing in the lobby before they go, where's so-and-so at? I don't understand that. And, sure, and I said, and it turns a blessing into a sour problem. Because now your fellowship is not around. We're taking the gospel to the lost world, a part of a great church. You forget everything else that everybody else is doing that you're not doing. And you start, you get in the van going, well, you know, I go through my mind every once in a while. And, and we've got about 12 people that could be here tonight. You know how many more doors? Well, you know how it is. I don't know what's going on. And, you know, I wish Brother Alltop would start hammering on those people a little bit and tell them, let's go. Let's get, get the lead out, you know. I don't think they're being challenged enough. And then pretty soon, and I said, don't let that become the focus of the ministry. There's going to be times you're going to show up, there's going to be two men, you and one other guy. There might, you might show up and be the only guy. And you know what you do? You say, thank the Lord, I'm going out with a handful of tracks, try to be a blessing to somebody. But if you're not careful, you get puffed up. Look what I'm doing. Well, you know, we got a, one time there was a man in the hospital, and uh, there's a lot of people went and visited him during the day retired people. The man's wife told me, she said, our church was just phenomenal. Coming and seeing us and offering help and bringing us meals when we got home. But now I will say this, Pastor. She says, I was very, very disappointed in the young people. I said, what kind of young? The, the young couples never came. And this woman was in her 70s. She had forgotten that the young couple, the, the, most of the men in our church that are in their 20s and 30s and 40s are getting up at 4 and 5 in the morning and they're at work all day and they come in at 4.30 or 5 after fighting Lexington traffic and they get home and their wives have been homeschooled and all the little kids they've got, that's a job, man. And they got all this going on, it's 6 o'clock and they're sitting down to a meal and he's got to be in bed because he's got to get back up and it's not about, I don't care about the old people from our church in the hospital. They just forgot that when you're retired, you have a lot of free time during the day. And that's a blessing. So here's the thing. It's not, it's not wrong to be uh, shackled and bound down with a lot of family obligations. And it's not a sin to be footloose and fancy free with an income and be retired. It's just understand, amen, and quit judging everybody about what they're doing or not doing, and just get in your lane and run your race and shout the glory and say, man, this is wonderful that I have the ability to do this. Because, man, they'll come and they'll say, you know, we could have a lot more people doing this and we should have a lot more people doing this. I'm like, yeah, but there's people doing stuff you don't know anything about. 
There's some of those women that you're talking about. Them women don't ever get out. Yeah, but they're making meals, man. They're taking meals to the hospital. When you're not, I don't want nothing you cook. You ain't got that gift. I wouldn't trust a bowl of cereal that you put together. So let everybody, amen, do what they do. And rejoice that we got people. Good night. Uh, we pull, I pulled up to the stoplight not too long ago. And I thought I, I got a good... The Lord showed me a good illustration uh, there. I guess it's for, I think it's Proverbs 14, verse 4. I hope that's right. I think that's the verse. I was sitting at a stoplight and this verse came to mind. It's, yes, where no oxen are, the crib is clean. But much increases by the strength of the ox. And I looked over at a cattle uh, owner and he had a big dually truck and a big cattle trailer behind him. And that, tra- that trailer was empty at the time. But I looked and I said, that man's got some strength. You know how I know? Because that trailer had cow dung dripping off every bar and gate on it. I mean, stuff hanging out and scraping. I mean, it, it, and I'm sitting, it was during the summer. The wind is down. I'm like, whoo, that guy's got some strength. You know why? Because his crib ain't clean. Because if the crib is clean, it's because you have no strength. You have no resources. You have no oxen. And so when you, I've heard people, someone said this, and I told the lady, said, she said, this is the most, this church is full of drama. I said, this church is full of strength. So there's going to be some dung on the gates. There's going to be some dung on the stall walls. Why? Because there's strength. If that man had pulled up and that trailer was there, I mean, every bar was shiny, brand new, and he'd owned it for 10 years, I'd know, this guy's broke. Because he ain't got no cattle, no strength, no resources. But if you got strength, resources, and health, there's going to be some. You're going to have to power wash. <sighs> you know. And once in a while, that's what the preacher's trying to do is power wash the aisles and the walls. Why? Because people get puffed up. So I'll say this. We are coming in. Landing gear's down. I did circle the airport about twice. What did he tell them to rejoice in? The red flag rejoicing is rejoicing in judging your, your success, get proud of it, and then you begin to judge other people and your self-righteousness. The Lord knew that's because you're, you're a sitting duck for the devil. And so the last thing he said, here's what you rejoice over. I'm glad you had success. I gave you that success. Rejoice rather that your names are written in heaven. You know what you should rejoice about? You'd rejoice about I am redeemed. I'm a part of that heavenly band. I am one. He knows my name in heaven. I have been born again by the spirit of God. I've been washed in the precious blood of Jesus Christ. He knows me. I'm adopted into the family. I'm accepted in the beloved. I have, I've been justified. My court case has been settled out of court before I had to go before the judge. I've got all this going on and heaven to come and I've got this little vapor to pass through and I want to make my vapor count. So if I'm going to make my vapor count, I'm going to be rejoicing over something that he did, not over something that I've been a part of or something that I've done or some level of success I think I've gotten to. And I knew tonight when I came in, I thought, is this the right message? And you know what we sang? And can it be? And that is the last thing on this message right here is I said when people start recognizing that what they are in Christ, who they are in Christ, and what Christ has accomplished for them, what they possess by being born again, 
then it should produce in us a rejoicing that every day carries us down the road when we realize God has thought on me. And you know what? When men write songs, you know what salvation ought to do? It ought to strike our hearts and our minds and overwhelm our minds with, I can't even believe this. Is this possible that I am reconciled to God, that he hears me? The God that created the universe and hung the moon and lit the sun and created everything I see. This God knows me and cares about me and came down here, became a man to represent me and died in my place, taking away my entire catalog of sins, nailing it to his cross, taking it out of the way. All of the indictments that were against me that was contrary to me have been taken out of the way by the blood of his cross. He died, amen, for me. He died as me. And that Bible says God made him to be sin for us who do no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Not only did he take away my sin, he replaced my sin with his own righteousness. I'm fitted out. His holiness scared me before I was saved. Now his holiness is something I want to strive for, but I'm not afraid to meet him in his holiness. Why? Because he has robed me in righteousness and made me fit for that heavenly home. And when you start thinking on that, just like the songwriters, and can it be? There's another song I've heard, how can it be? How? Is this true? Because when you get focused on that, then you begin to rejoice that your name is written there. And you begin to praise the one. And you're just glad to be doing anything. And the only thing you're going to say to somebody that's struggling is, come on, brother, you'd be a help. And you don't go around with a sour, judgmental attitude. Instead, you say, I can't even believe the grace of God. What a blessing he's been to me. I can't believe what he's done in my life. And all I can do is come in and sing to the glory of God and give with a cheerful heart and praise his name and study the Bible and tell others what he's done. Because when you get focused on that, it'll cause these other distractions to fall off. Because when something that magnificent and with that kind of magnitude takes hold of your heart, you pretty soon you're like, what? What are you upset about? Who cares about that? You see, he said, you want to rejoice? Rejoice rather that your names are written in heaven. So what are you rejoicing in tonight? Are you proud of how far you've come and how great you are? (laughs) All right, you know, listen, success is a dangerous thing. But the Savior is worthy to be praised. And if you'll just keep doing that and just do what you do and then forget about it. And just one foot in front of the other every day. That's the message. Why? Hey, come back. The devils were subject unto us. He says, very good. But in this rejoice not. Because I saw pride in Satan that got him kicked out. And this rather rejoice in this that your name's written down. Brother Roger?